Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and in today's episode, I speak with Wade Arp. Wade is presently a district superintendent in the United Methodist Church in the Kentucky Annual Conference. I've known Wade since we first crossed paths at Asbury Theological Seminary back during my MDiv days in the mid-90s. We'll talk a little bit about that during the episode. Wade also holds the D-Men in Preaching and Leading from the Beeson Center at Asbury Seminary, where he had the privilege of working in the D-Men during really one of the heyday eras when Dale Galloway was uh, leading that program. And so we'll be able to talk all things church planning with Wade. But I also brought him on specifically because I love the mindset that he brings to his leadership role as a district superintendent and especially how he uses scriptural imagination to forge a pathway forward both for himself and for the pastors that he has the privilege of serving as they seek to expand the mission there in uh, Kentucky and beyond. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with friends. Also, I'd love to hear your feedback. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you find it. If you'd like to connect with me, I invite you to uh, go to my website, brianrussellphd.com. You can subscribe. You can check out my blog, all the different offerings that I have. If I can be of any service, feel free to reach out directly to me at brian at brianrussellphd.com. Now let's jump into the conversation with Wade. Hey, Wade. It's uh, Thank you for coming on to the Deep Dive podcast. It's great to see you. Hey, Brian. Good to see you, brother. Good to be with you. And I do remember you as one of my all-time best Hebrew students back in the in the 90s. You, we knew each other when we were very young. Man, we were just starting out, and I like to fancy myself as your best Hebrew student ever. I, I probably wasn't, but I like to think that. It was a good class. <laughs> well, no, it's good. And see, and we're going to get into a real positive mindset that you've carried on. And so you just illustrated it right, <laughs> it, it, it right there. So I, I, I love, uh, love, uh, love that. And uh, that was fun back in those, uh, in some ways, those early two years of teaching that I did were uh, pro- maybe some of the most enjoyable because it really was uh, just, uh, just a t- fun and I got to meet and I got, and I still stay in touch with a yeah. lot of people that had me and they still remember me as their Greek and Hebrew teacher, yep. which to me is um actually that's just a real compliment because See? they we shuffled yeah. through a lot there and and uh, I was just cutting my teeth but I I tried really hard and it was a lot of fun so uh, our, our book was Lasore and it was the <laughs> it was the we translated the whole book of Esther like that was the whole thing and that was that was awesome I know that's and that's really funny too. That's a great book, and and then I think of you know he, he used Esther on purpose, um, but at the same time you think of all the books you could have read. The one book you've most students who've went, at least went through Asbury in that period, the one book everybody read in Hebrew was Esther, which again, nothing against Esther, but uh, that's usually not on somebody's you know top ten list of most important books in the Bible. Though it is a great story, and you know we had a lot oh, yeah. of fun with it in class. Yeah, yeah, good well, stuff. Well, again, welcome to the podcast. I brought you on here. Uh, you've been serving for a number of years now as a district superintendent in the United Methodist Church in in the Kentucky Annual Conference. And uh, again, all our Methodist friends know the the church has been through a, really a challenging time over the last couple of years. And I've I've had the privilege of working with yep. you through uh, Narrowgate, and I've got I basically walked with you, and we had other we focused on discipleship stuff, but a lot of our conversations turned on the really challenging task that you and other district superintendents had over the last couple of years of 
learning to navigate and actually do the whole disaffiliation process. And again, we don't need to get into the weeds on all that. I brought you on because I really appreciated your attitude as you went through this. And hmm. Kentucky, you know, from talking to you, and I know a couple other uh, district superintendents and pastors, compared to some conferences, again, still difficult process, but there wasn't a lot of animosity per se across the board. The bishop there was very generous. And, uh, but, yeah. you know, as we work together in your, what your district, you lost like 50% of your churches or something like yeah, that. We, it was right, right around 40%. We uh, our my district, uh, the Penny Rowell district, which is in the Western Kentucky. Uh, we lost, I believe 35 churches. So we had 91 and we lost 35, so we're down to 56, which I believe is right around 40%. So that's that's a big chunk. You know, it was a hard, you know, last year and a half or so have been really hard. Um, I had to do all those meetings, all those votes, uh, all the consultations before and after. So it was a very intense time, um, for sure. Uh, a lot of strong feelings, a lot of, you know, energy around that. But uh, really, uh, things were very civil, very kind of peaceful. In Kentucky, um, I'm, I'm thankful for our conference leadership in that I, I think they were fair to the process. Not everyone liked the process, but I think they were fair to the process and they didn't make it any harder than it already was, you know. So it was even gracious in some points. So, you know, it's, it's been a hard couple of years, but um, I still talk to some of those, some folks. Those some of those churches still contact me occasionally. So it's kind of weird, but it's good to still, you know, stay in touch. And, uh, you know, I, it's been hard, yeah, but you know, God's bigger than all this, and God loves His church more than we do, and God's going to take care of His church, you know, one way or the other. So that's that's kind of how I look at it, and what kind of helps to kind of get me through some of these weird, difficult seasons that we're going through. Yeah, and I wanted specifically to bring you on, Wade, because right in the middle of all that last spring, during one of our calls, when we were having a one-on-one -on -one, uh, chat, you you. Uh, you just shared this, these beautiful metaphors from Scripture, some passages that kept you grounded and allowed you to be really optimistic about the future. And and I thought, you know, regardless of whether somebody is United Methodist or they've moved into one of the new Methodist denominations, Global Methodist, or they're just a, a Christian, I thought yeah. super positive outlook and... Uh, and I, and again, as a leader in the Methodist Church, I found your words to be, you know, just good for my soul too. So, could could you share a little bit of of, of what you shared with me, more in private, in private, but might, we'll make this make this public because I think this is just a really <laughs> good word for the Church of Jesus Christ today. Yeah, sure, um, glad to. So, uh, I, I've been in this role now about two and a half years. So, I, I came into the the district superintendent role in the summer of 2021. So I came in during COVID. And at that time, um, you know, we were still kind of, at least in Kentucky, asking, how do we open things back up where we've not met together for a long time? So I kind of came in on the end of that. And then also knowing that at least in Kentucky, um, the, the big kind of disaffiliation season was ahead of us. So I knew there was going to be some, some challenge, uh, some difficult days ahead. And I guess it's just the way I'm wired, maybe, Brian. Uh, I, I need to frame things like with scripture or some analogy or some metaphor um, just to kind of help me uh, process it, right? And so uh, I have a lot of different frames I look through, but there, there were a couple of scriptural stories and then just some other personal stories that I used to kind of frame. But I think what I was sharing with you was like two or three 
kind of scriptural uh, metaphors and um, I would use those to encourage me, but also to try to give me some perspective on the, you know, how do you come out of COVID? How do you go into disaffiliation? How do you do this difficult season? And so um, I can't remember exactly which ones I shared with you, um, but, um, you know, one of the ones that maybe I shared with you was um, was the story of Gideon yes. uh, from the Old Testament. That may have been one of the ones. And uh, not not any one particular thing in the, the whole book or the whole story there in Judges, the Gideon narrative, but like the the part that like really spoke to me in that story was, you know, when um, when the angel, when God encounters Gideon at, at first, right? Uh, Gideon, it says, as he's threshing his wheat in a in a wine press, right? And that, that's kind of a weird, you know, thing to to read and. I can remember being in an Old Testament class in seminary and the professor kind of breaking that down saying, you know, uh, when you when you thresh wheat, you're usually on a high place and you have the threshing fork and you're, you're, you're you know, kind of hitting the wheat and trying to separate the, the wheat from the chaff and you toss it into the air and the breeze catches it and blows away the stuff you don't want and you keep the good stuff. But Gideon was down in a wine press and the, the image we were supposed to get, this professor said was, that he was hiding, like he was in a low spot and he was maybe at ground level or below the level, you know, doing this wheat threshing thing in a place you shouldn't do. And, and the implication was that he was he was fearful, he was scared. <laughs> and so in the middle of all that, the angel shows up and, you know, this is my paraphrase, but it basically says, you know, uh, greetings, mighty warrior. <laughs> and, um, you know, at that point in the story, Gideon was anything but a warrior, you know, his people had been oppressed and just life was bad, right? And anyway, um, when I used to read that a long time ago, I, I always thought maybe, but my first thought, Brian, was that, like, God's got a funny sense of humor. Like there's this guy cowering <laughs> down in the wine press and the angel says, ha, you know, like almost like he's teasing the guy. But then later, as I read that more, I began thinking, you know, maybe what's going on here is that God sees in that moment, God sees Gideon not only as he is, but also as he's going to become. Right. There's this moment of, uh, yeah, in this time, Gideon, you are cowering, you are fearful. But soon, if you open yourself to me, God's going to use you to do mighty things. And, and that that whole kind of story, that whole kind of image um, was was helpful to me. You know, you're just speaking personally, the last few years, I, I wouldn't say have been a fearful time, but certainly been an uncomfortable time. And there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen and if, is it going to happen, when it's going to happen, what does it mean? Um, and it's easy to kind of be, you know, fear or anxiety driven. And in that moment, I would try to think of the story and say, you know, God God has a perspective that I don't, that we don't. And God can see us in this moment, whether it's coming out of COVID or having disaffiliation meetings or whatever it is. And God can see us in that moment, but also can see how me or you, but even bigger, how the church can be six months, six years down the road. And so it just that just helped kind of reframe the perspective. You know, at whatever I was thinking or feeling that day, you know, God sees something in me and you and these churches, and he's not giving up. You know, he's not giving up on us, you know. So, uh, you know, when I, when I was driving, you know, to a meeting, whatever, I would sometimes think about that story. And, you know, if the angel spoke to me today, would he say, hey, Wade, <laughs> you know, Greetings, mighty warrior. When I was anything but, you know, so that that was one of those stories that would um, that would kind of help, you know, just give some perspective 
uh, I, I see things one way, God sees things differently, and, and God sees us where we are, but also what we can become. I, I just found it very helpful, you know, and, and I still do. So that was one. Um, and just give us one or two more like biblical yeah. passages that you love for leadership or visioning or church planning or that really helped you, whether it was the ones you share with me or not. Yeah, I didn't sure. write them down either. I just remember them being <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, another one uh, that I, I shared, and I shared all these with my leadership teams uh, in our district. We have a district operational team. I have pastors I meet with and laity. And so I shared, I think, all of these, several with them uh, about a year or so ago. And then as I would meet with individual pastors, if an issue would come up, I'd kind of share. So I, I've shared these a bit over the last year, year and a half. One of the other ones I like a lot um, is the just the kind of the, the, the Nehemiah story, you know, where, uh, not, again, not any one particular thing, but, you know, Nehemiah is, is his heart is broken. He's, he's crushed because Jerusalem lies in ruins. And he shows this great act of faith going before the king and getting permission to go back. And, you know, when Nehemiah finally arrives back in uh, in Jerusalem, you know, what he sees is just the, the city kind of laying in waste, and most of the people have been exiled, and uh, the neighboring communities are, are not real favorable to the Jewish people who are there, the remnant, and um, it's a hard task. And so one of the first things Nehemiah does was, I believe the story was, he, he goes out at night, and so he just kind of takes a survey of the whole thing. He just kind of takes a real honest assessment of where things are at. And then he goes back to the people and basically challenges them and says, you know, look, um, we can do this with God's help. We can rebuild the walls. We can reset the gates. And the goal at the end of that story uh, is to, to reread the scripture, right? For Nehemiah and Ezra to uh, bring the people together and have the Torah read, which hadn't been done for, for a long, long time. And so, you know, there's there's this moment of like um, this horrible thing has happened, uh, but yet there's hope, there's new life. As the people rally together, uh, the walls begin to get rebuilt. And, and where this particular story was super helpful for me, Brian, and, and the folks I shared it with was um, a little over two years ago in December of 21, uh, a bunch of, there's a tornado outbreak over a lot of Western Kentucky. And so uh, we literally were living, many of our towns were damaged, many of our churches had some damage. Um, members of a couple of our churches lost their lives, you know, in, in the tornado. And it was a very difficult uh, time. And um, one of the images as we got through the winter into the spring was that, uh, so like just, I'm in Madisonville, Kentucky right now, and just like three miles south on the interstate is one of the swaths where the tornado mm -hmm. came through. So it's probably half a mile along the interstate of just trees ripped up and crushed and twisted. Um, and that first spring, spring of 2022, you began to see new growth popping in all this field of damage and destruction. And, and one of the images that came to us in leadership was, yes, we've been through a storm, COVID disaffiliation, the storm has come through, but, but now it's time for new birth and regrowth. Now it's time to rebuild the walls. And to use a tornado analogy, and now it's time to plant some trees, right? The, the, there's new life coming out of these old dead stumps. You know, that's a biblical image too, right? Uh, with Jesse and that, that whole story in the Old Testament, the prophecy in the New Testament. Um, so images like that, so we, we live through that one, you know, and then the Nehemiah, the serving, the damage, rallying the people, trying to rebuild. That was a really helpful one also. And um, 
one of the strange things, you know, to kind of connect a different dot, uh, one of the strange, and I would just say the totally a God thing, is um, out of the season of disaffiliation, um, we actually, in our district, got to help uh, plant a church. And that's, that's a whole long, weird story, but um, a handful of churches in this one county uh, disaffiliated, but there was a there was a remnant uh, folks who said no, we want to remain uh, United Methodist. And um, <laughs> in March a year ago, so March of twenty twenty two, excuse me, twenty twenty three, um, I got some emails. I sent some emails, and we had a a meeting at a, at a catfish restaurant. <laughs> had lunch with about seventeen people. Most of them from one church, a couple from some other churches that disaffiliated. And uh, they were like, we want to be UMC. What do we do? And so we began talking. We began praying. And we met in March. Uh, we met in April. Uh, we met again in May. And in May, I was able to announce, hey, the conference, we're going to, uh, Bishop's going to appoint you a, a pastor. And we're going to launch this congregation. And so uh, in July, they had their first kind of public meeting. They uh, met, I believe, in a VFW hall <laughs> for the first like month or two, and and now they're in like a storefront. They're running forty to fifty people on a Sunday, and getting ready to start some kind of children's and kids ministries. And um, in all my training years ago, in like new ministries and uh, church planning, you, know, you always kind of focused, or we we're always taught focus on the young people and the families and all that kind of thing. And that's important. Don't get me wrong, but this church is mainly sixty and seventy year olds. Um, who uh, I just, I, I joked one time with our cabinet, hey, we're planning a church with 70-year-olds, you know, and I, I never read a book on how you do that, right? And so anyway, growth coming out of the storm, walls being rebuilt, you know, the, the worship happening. And so it's just one of those things of, you know, God is bigger than this. With Nehemiah, God provided all the documents, provided all the resources, provided safe passage, provided all the things they needed and at least in my experience here, you know, God's brought the people, God's brought the resources, the timing, the space. You know, and I, I wish I could say I was smart enough to, to say this was my plan. But clearly, that's not the case. Um, this is a God thing, you know. So even out of the storm, if you want to call it that, the storm of disaffiliation, there's a church plant in our district. And then a similar thing has happened in a different district in, uh, in our conference. So we've had two church plants. Uh, doing well, you know, come out of this affiliation. So it, as bad as the season has been in some ways, there's also some good stuff happening, you know? So again, I think for me anyway, using these biblical narratives, metaphors, images uh, helps me reframe and put all this in perspective. You know, at least that's helpful to me. So no, uh, yeah, good. so the, the Gideon, the Nehemiah, yeah. Yeah, and you're, and you're still straight for everybody listening. It's how important it is to be in scripture and to have a scriptural imagination and to be able to keep these, uh, these metaphors. Um, I want to oh, yeah. um, do a follow-up on this church planning piece. Cause you said a couple of interesting things and, you know, and, and I know we've talked before, I know you, when you did your doctor of ministry at Asbury seminary, you got to do, I don't know, at some level, um, I don't know if it's the best ever version of our D men. I wouldn't say that just because that would be unfair to what we're doing now, but you had the Dale Galloway experience and he it was, was very it, good. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I know a lot of, um, well, we have mutual friends that went through the same program with you and you all, and it was a little different. You got some really, well, Galloway was like, a was, 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 had, was, was, um, 
very was a church growth kind of a guru almost and he knew how to build up churches and launch things yeah. and so you got a lot of really powerful insights and it was just kind of funny you told me the story about that you just referenced where you had this basically a remnant group putting together one of these um I think at some of the conferences they call them lighthouse churches or whatever but a, ch a new church right. plant and the piece that I that I that really stuck with me, and I don't know if you can share the numbers because again, I want to be it's re, be respectful to the that church and, and the conference and stuff. But can you can you just kind of like talk a little bit about like the conference came in with a with like a grant, and you asked these small group of people for X number of dollars, <laughs> right, and, right, and, right? And and what was the surprise there, and what's maybe the leadership lesson in that? So you know, fill it in with as much. I mean, you yeah. don't have to give the numbers if you you know. I don't think oh, we no, do that yeah. publicly, but if it's okay, but but just give an idea about what, but that whole conversation when when it comes down to money, because that's what makes a lot of people nervous. And there's yeah. tons of pastors that are listening, and you know some yourself that. <laughs> Budgets have been tricky post COVID, and there's yeah, been, some, yeah. but but here you have a story of abundance, kind of yeah. maybe a surprising place. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm glad. Yeah, that, that's I, I, we did talk about that once. Um, so, um, in a church plant in Kentucky, the, the way we do it is that uh, the conference gives a portion of money, then the district gives a portion of money, and then the local church is expected to give a portion as well. So, there, there's different funding streams, and so before a lot of those numbers were kind of even really set um, in one of my, I met in March, April, and May. So probably this was the April meeting, maybe the May meeting. I can't remember. I think it was the April meeting. So I met with them twice at this point. And um, I knew kind of a ballpark of what we thought at the time this uh, new plant would need to come up with financially to, to kind of make a go of it to be viable. And so you know, I, I hate asking for money. And so I was kind of like, oh gosh, I have to make the pitch. And so we're, we're sitting in this catfish restaurant <laughs> and there's probably 18, 19 people at this series of tables put together. And I'm talking about how the conference is going to support and the district's going to support, but you all need to come up as well. And in my head, I thought, well, you know, what, what's reasonable for what they've been through and for what they can do. And we, we don't know what the final cost is going to be. So I just said, look, folks, um, I need to make you a challenge, you need to make an ask. You don't have to tell me today, but you need to be thinking about this, praying about this. So that was my setup, right? I was, I was working up to the pitch here. And what I said was, and so we're with this long table. So I'm at one end and folks are down, you know. And um, anyway, so I'm, I'm looking at two rows of people looking back at me. And I, and I said, you know, folks, I think what we need to think about is, is there capacity in this group? Can you all give? Do you think you could commit to give between... You know, I had this little dramatic pause between thirty and thirty-five thousand dollars in this next year, and Brian, it was hilarious because the, the the people right next to me kind of looked down the line and then looked back and just shook their head. And this woman who was sitting three or four uh, people down one side, she she left. She went, "Ha! You undershot DS," <laughs> and I just and we all just started laughing. And and as I learned, this group of people, most of these folks were retired. Most of these. I had been very successful in their in their life's work and their businesses. Some were still working, managing businesses. So, you know, financially they were in pretty good shape, right? And and I, of course I didn't know all that then, um, but I made an ask that I thought was you know this would be tough for a brand new group of people who've only met twice in a catfish restaurant, right? And it was just like this quick thing, like yeah, we got it. No, no, you, you should have asked for a lot more. Um, so you know, lesson learned, 
maybe in the future, a bigger ask or a bigger challenge. Um, and to fast forward with all that, you know, when they did kind of officially launch, uh, they began generously giving and have continued that. So they're what, eight months into it now, something like that. And they're, they're doing okay, right? So anyway, uh, but I just remember that this lady's laughing, ha, you undershot DS. And I thought, oh man, I, I could have asked her two or three times that much and they probably could have done it. But uh, it's just, again, a glorious sighting, huh? And what I told him, I said, folks, you know, God clearly is ahead of both of us on this. He's moving. You know, I, I thought I was asking for something big and he already had this covered. So, uh, yeah, yeah, God. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. love that story for a couple of reasons. Um, it, at first, it's it's just it's just always funny. Um, you know, this, if you ask if you ever have to ask whether you're a salesperson or, you know, sometimes I when I when I'm speaking, somebody goes like, what do you charge? And I don't you know, it's like, then you have to kind of make a number up. And I've just always noticed as soon as if somebody says yes, like, like, oops, I think I, I don't think I asked for enough because it was too easy sometimes. And, right. and I say that jokingly, I don't try to, um, you know, overcharge or anything like that. But it is funny sometimes as I've, you know, I've over the years, and you've probably had honorariums, they come in at different shapes and sizes, and you never really know. And I, and I never want, you know, Bob Tuttle, right. I think, you, you know, Tuttle, he always yeah. said, never let money come between you and ministry. So I've always tried to remember yeah. that. But at the same time, it is funny. Sometimes it's like, yeah, I did. I, I clearly didn't ask for enough at that moment. And, and it's good from a faith right. perspective yeah. for pastors listening. We're always so afraid. But one of the things that, and I think I appreciate about this, about you, Wade, is you have to me, and I don't know if you, you would use this language, but you have an abundance mindset. Because like, even in your use of the Bible, and I just want to observe this is like the way it spoke to me is because like you said, you want like to frame things, you know, everybody frames things, but most of us default to framing things negatively and in scarcity and uh, fear. Yeah. Cause those are all frames. You literally choose, you know, you're not like a, a Pollyannish naive person, but you choose to frame things in a way that opens up the future rather than hedging and holding on really tight to everything. Mm. And yeah, ma yeah, maybe you should have walked in and asked those folks for who knows what the number would have been, but still <laughs> in your mind, you're thinking you probably counted like, okay, there's 17 people, 33. Okay. They're going to give $2,000. I mean, I don't know. That seemed like a reasonable guess, yeah. but, <laughs> but, but I, I just want to just note that I love, and that's so important for us as Christians. We live in a world of fear, but even mm. time of fear, God, you know, all them images, uh, a sprout coming out of a burnt, um, you know, a stump, like yeah. in Isaiah, or you mentioned Jesse, um, the Nehemiah looking at ruins, and he can see a future. Yeah. Uh, even God seeing Gideon hiding, and uh, <laughs> yeah. he comes and finds him in his hiding spot. Those are all, I mean, that's a that's a choice that we can make um, to, to frame. Um, yeah. Didn't mean to talk so much there, but I just, I just want to no, that's good. clear because I think that's su such a great lesson that, that blessed me. And I, I hope the listeners all uh, heard that. Now I wanted you to put on your church planning hat. And again, you know, when you were with Galloway back in the nineties, you got to go to all the cool churches back then. So you all, you know, like, I think you went to like um, Mosaic, I don't know, some of the vineyard up in yeah. Cincinnati when it was really big, uh, Steve Shogun's yep. church. And yep. I don't know where else you went, Houston, maybe at Korea. I don't know if you did. Did you guys do the Korea trip also and go over and see the big churches there? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, we did the Korea trip. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys saw all the, these, um, I mean, the churches that at some level 
you know, maybe on our fleshly side, every pastor wants to have one of these churches, right? It's it's at <laughs> some level, and I don't mean that with any uh, oh, judgment, yeah. but uh, but you, well, in, 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 we it, see it, them on a level like, oh, yeah. if we could only do that or be like that. I mean, it's, but yeah, I mean that those were elevated for a time for sure. <laughs> and you mentioned specifically, like you know, most people when you think a church plant should go with younger families and such, but you learn something with this group of older people. Um, they have financial, they have financial resources, they're retired. Um, you know, in your case, these folks clearly had energy. Um, how has watching an older congregation plant changed your idea about what a church plant can do? And just putting on your leadership hat, I mean, obviously, if this church is going to thrive and flourish, it will have to not, if it ages out, it'll just die. But, you know, um, but it, it's going to need to reach younger people in some ways, but also, I mean, it could just flourish as like a, it, like, you know, down in Florida, there's this community called the Villages that has a, a big church that's, and that's a 55 over community. And so you go to that church, you know, like I used to, I'm getting almost old and this next year, I will be old enough to live there now. I'll be 55 <laughs> this year, but I've been going up there for like almost 20 years and I always, I'm always like the youngest person there for the most part. There's a few younger people, but you right. know, there's, so there's churches that have learned to flourish really by c continuing to reach their demographic. Just speak yeah. to that as a leader, as a person that's planted a church yourself. Um, yeah. yeah. So a couple thoughts. Um, years ago, I got to, I was a senior pastor at a church. We planted a church out of that church. That was an awesome, fun experience. Uh, and some, I would say some really cool kingdom things happened there. But like one of the things that I was taught about and that we experienced was, you know, when, when you truly get people who are unchurched or, or de-churched, um, the, the process of discipling, they, they come at a different point than someone in the, in the traditional downtown church is that. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll, giving of your time and of your support or being in a Bible study or joining a small group, like, that's not intuitive to a lot of people. And so the, this is why we do this. And this is why it's important. Here's how you, you know, kind of the, what's your next step. Um, there's a lot of time, at least in my experience, when you're reaching brand new people, kind of, you know, bringing them in through that. Um, to contrast, like with, with the group that's planted in the district here, and I think also largely in the other district, very similar experience, you've got people um, who are already very committed in their belief. So they're already servers and they're already givers and they've already, you know, been in Bible studies or small groups or some kind of discipleship format. And they see the value of all that. So like with a brand new person, there's, it takes time and intentionality to kind of bring them to that point. Um, a lot of these folks in the, in the current church plants coming out of the disaffiliation they already get that stuff and they're already doing that. And so the the one here that I'm more familiar with, um, in their former churches, they were already doing amazing outreaches and amazing serving, and they just brought that DNA into the current church. And so they're sometimes doing the same outreaches they were before. They found new things to meet needs in the community, whether it be with the school system or some uh, group that meets out in the community. So like... No one, I certainly mean, no one had to tell them, hey, you need to find a way to serve. Like they just did that, right? So that part, that that kind of compare contrast to me was um, 
amazing, you know, and, and again, uh, I didn't have to coach him. I didn't, not once. Uh, I actually met with him about a week or so ago, and we talked about outreach ideas, and there were two or three things I kind of brought as suggestions, and I found out ah, they were already doing them, you know, so again, it's like, all right, God, you're ahead of me on this again, and um, that was just very, very cool, very encouraging, so the the pieces of how do you be church, how do you do church, um, they had a lot of that figured out already, and for this group, right now, a lot of their passion is how do we engage people now the other six days of the week, right, so Sunday, they're they're not even a year old, but they've kind of gotten to a rhythm now. And there's kind of a good flow on Sundays. And so now it's how do we engage people on Monday and on Wednesday and on, you know, that kind of thing, which is a great question and a great problem to have is how do we engage people the other six days? And so that's one of the things they're wrestling with. And again, I didn't have to tell them to do this. This is partly how they're wired. They've got a great pastor leading. They've got some good coaches working with them. Um and that's all very different from my experience when I got to help with the church plant years ago where we were doing all the, this is why we need to meet, and this is why we need to serve, this is why we need to give, this is how you do an outreach. Um, th this group, they, they get all that already. Um, and I think that's very similar in the other district, the other church plant, same kind of thing. They were very quick to engage, hit the ground running, and they're off to a great start too. So again, you know, coming out of this weird storm, God's brought some amazing growth and some great glory sightings. It's been very cool. That's good. And, and, and did that and answer you, your question? Yeah, it, yeah, it actually did. I ramble a little bit. Sorry. No, I'd like you to reflect on this one too. Right before we got on, you were reminiscing about Dale Galloway, and and I think yeah. the quotation was something like planning. Well, actually, what was the what yeah. was the quotation of, in your mind about church planning over against transitioning a first yeah. a, a downtown first church? And I'd just love to hear your you kind of just talk about that for just a couple minutes. Too. Yeah. So, so like, Dale Galloway was the dean of the Beeson program when I was in it 20 years ago. And Dale had all these little little maxims, little little quotes he would just drop all throughout the semester. And he'd repeat them. So you'd hear him a couple of times. And one of the ones that really spoke to me was Dale would say, the hardest thing to do in the church is to plant a church, a new church. And then he'd say, the only thing harder than planting a new church is transitioning the old downtown first church. Like that, that was just a little, a little, you know, nugget he would drop, you know. So uh, church planting is really hard. Transitioning an established church is even harder. But again, his whole point was, but with God's help, these can be done. Right? You can do these things. And so his whole framework was, you know, if God's going to do it, help him, get out of his way, let, let this work happen and be a part of it. Don't be an obstacle, you know, standing in the way. Um, but that, that was just one of the quotes. Yeah, the hardest thing to do in the church is to plant a church. Only thing harder is to transition an existing church. And, and as a DS where you've, you're supervising some church plants and obviously, you know, regardless of denomination, if you find yourself as a pastor leading a a church that's been around for a while. Um, this can be true in rural areas too, but you know the classic downtown church, the neighborhoods have completely shifted, and so people are mostly driving in and they're disconnected, and you know there's parking, all that kind of stuff um, in different urban areas. Looking back, you know, you you heard that quotation. What that was in the mid '90s. So unfortunately, that was like almost 30 years ago, or, or not? No, it's yeah. like 25 years 25 ago. 25 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. How does that help you kind of frame out the leadership challenges of the church today? And I know that's a huge question, but I'm going to end with that. <laughs> then we'll go to the shorter questions here and we'll wrap up here today. Because that really is, that's the where, that's where we're at. Where that's the, we need to plant churches and we need to 
turnarounds, some of these classic big churches that, you know, different denominations have in the downtown areas so they can literally reach and reach people that live there, right? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's kind of going back to the Gideon thing. It's, it's you got to survey the scene around you. You've got to take a good hard look at at your city at your at your at your area you know and in a lot of places and even rural areas you know the the context has changed a lot in the last 10 20 30 years um my, my experience brian is that you know in every organization church or whatever there, there's always a group of people that are like wanting to hold on to the past and just sure it's going to come back you know and, and maybe it will but probably not um but there's also a group who's and it may only be a few people, but there's also a group who um, are trying to name the reality and try to assess situations and look for possibilities and look look for, you know, looking for a need and finding a way to meet it. Um, and in my experience is, you know, I, it's easier for me to work with that second group of people than the first, you know, and it, I've never seen a church be completely unified about everything all the time. You know, there, there's pockets of interest and pockets of energy. Um, and, and sometimes when you take that good hard look and say, hey, our community has changed. We're not meeting the needs. We may not be here in 10 years. If that's compelling to a church or to a group within the church, and they want to talk about well, what can we do, like, to me, that's where you start is, you, you know, do some demographic analysis, do some kind of in-house, what, what are we good at? Who are we gifted with? What, what can we, you know, affect here in this community? And my experience is always, if you get one or two wins, you, you try a thing and it works, that kind of builds some energy and momentum and you try another thing and it works, then you kind of get the snowball rolling. And, and even the naysayers are folks who say, well, we don't want to be a part of that. When you see people's lives being touched or new people coming into worship or to a group or to a serving event, it's awful hard to argue with, with that, right? So, you know, uh, someone wants, it's a scriptural, I can't remember where it's at, but it talks about the person of peace. Who are your persons of peace when it comes it's in to Matthew, Matthew 10? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, like, find who, who are your persons of peace within the church and who are your persons of peace without the church and, and work with them, start with them. You know, um, they're going to see things I don't see. They're going to be familiar with things I'm not familiar with. So, you know, partner and work with them. So it's not saying you dismiss the folks who say we don't want to do anything. It's just put your energy with the movers, move with the movers, I guess would be the the way. That's probably a Dale Galloway-ism as well. <laughs> no, it's good though. And, and again, I, I've, I just, I've just had, you know, we've talked before. I've, I just always appreciated um, that iteration of our, of our program. And uh, maybe just because I, I, I got mentored by somebody that went through that. And most of the stuff I learned about mission and church planning was from reading all the books that you guys read mm, and uh, just yeah. loved it. So I just uh, never really knew Galloway all that well, but love hearing stories about the the, the folks and, uh, and you've carried it on now because here you are uh, 25 years later and you're, you're leading and, uh, yeah. and, and you're kind of having just to go back to our Esther, uh, to put a, to yeah. put a little inclusion on this. It's for such a time as this, for that such, uh, you exactly. find yourself in leadership. Um, you know, let's wrap up on, with the questions <laughs> that I like to sure. ask, uh, the folks. And, uh, the first one is, um, 
what what keeps you grounded in terms of like uh, your your regular rhythms but what what really helps you and you know you've been through a, a really a winter a season of winter where it's really hard but here you know it's starting to be springtime again and you're ready to get back out you you you're, you're you haven't you didn't get uh, you didn't freeze during the winter you made it through so uh so <laughs> what, right. what what what's what keeps you grounded in your work Wade um my family, my wife, my kids, uh, our dog, you know, I, I have a routine that's uh, helpful for me, you know, um, uh, just about every day I take a dog walk. I'm not sure if I walk the dog or he walks me. We go for a walk usually fairly early and then come back to the house and I, I let him kind of hang out in the front porch and I sit and I, I read the Psalms. I have a little reading list uh, of Psalms and some prayers and that's kind of my dog walk devotional time and that that happens just about every day um and that that's grounding for me um uh, i don't do it nearly enough but i like to play guitar so it kind of it's an outlet it's kind of musical therapy in the warm weather months i love to work outside so gardening working in the yard that kind of thing just the breaking the sweat getting my hands dirty that that's grounding for me and again i don't do it nearly enough i like to go fishing so time on the water time out in nature um that that feeds me, that kind of calms me, that gives me perspective, you know. Um, so th those are kind of the my rhythm of life routines when I'm not wearing the DS hat or the pastor hat. Um, two two uh, teenage kids whose lives are very busy, so I'm, I'm a taxi a lot of days of the week, and that's that's humbling, you know. Just when you think you're important, like your dad hold my bag, here's my sandwich, hold it for me. Okay, sure, you know, just <laughs> sure, whatever. Um, so there's a lot of things that are just grounding, humbling, just in my daily routine, and that that's helpful for me, uh, just to be reminded, you know, uh, I said yes to serve, and serving means a lot of different things, and sometimes it's walking a stinky dog, and sometimes it's holding a sweaty gym bag, and sometimes it's preaching in front of lots of people, and it's all valuable ways to serve and be in community. So uh, that whole perspective kind of feeds me and informs how I look at things. Yeah, I love it. And uh, now the the book question that I uh -oh. heard you about there. So yeah, so yep. like, and again, and, and just kind of see what comes up for you now. So, you know, th what 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 are two or three books outside of the Bible, which has clearly been important for you, that uh, have really shaped you spiritually in terms of leadership? However, you want to land, uh, answer that, but like, what are two or three books that have been really valuable in your growth? Um, that's not it's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Um. So I, over the years, let's put it that way, the books I've kind of come back to um, a lot, let's say, uh, Oswald Chambers, uh, My Utmost for His Highest. Um, I, I, I love that. It challenges me. Uh, I, you know, rarely can I read I have to read it multiple times. There's short little entries, right? But I have to read it because it's like everything is deep, right? Yes. So I, that's a book I kind of, I don't read it all the time, but I come back to it again and again. And then similarly, um, another book that um, I remember when I read it, thinking, wow, this is profound. And then I've gone back and reread it and go, oh, wow, this is profound. Um, but a book by uh, Asbury Professor Robert Mulholland, Bob Mulholland, had a book called Invitation to Journey which was about kind of call and spiritual disciplines and uh, an approach to living out your call, living out your faith and integrating the spiritual disciplines. And so um, 
I've read that book on my own. I've read that book as parts uh, of a group. Uh, and I've actually gone back and looked at it again here just in the last uh, few weeks or so. So that, that's another book uh, for me that just, um, it's rich. It, it's a go-to, you know. And again, every time I read it, I'm like, wow, I didn't catch that the first time. So uh, there's a lot of books. I'd say, you know, if, if you had to ask me today what, what you did, those would be kind of the two uh, just kind of go-to. You know, if, if you're stuck on a desert island, uh, those would be books I'd want with me, you know. Good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for being my guest today. This has really been oh, a yeah. enriching conversation. And uh, again, uh, uh, yeah, and so it's always good to, to speak with you. And I just want to say to everybody listening all the way to the end here, uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode. And I don't wait, if there's a pastor listening that might want to reach out to you or somebody, like what would be a way that a person can get a hold of you if they wanted to maybe follow up or get get uh, get some insights into some of your missional thinking? Oh, gosh, just... Uh... Send me an email, uh, W-A-R-P, warp at K-Y-U-M-C.org. Uh, that's my, I, I didn't make that up, Brian. Somebody else gave it to me, but it, it's good, right? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I email you all the time. I never actually thought about that. That's really funny. It's not, you made it sound like a radio station. Then you made it even funnier by pronouncing it warp, W-A-R-P yeah, uh, in Cincinnati it, or something. So, it, okay. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. That's warp. what I was channeling, by the way, was yeah. the, the old sitcom. <laughs> No, that's so yeah, good. W A R P at uh, K Y U C dot org, not Cincinnati. Um, anyway, but yeah, just shoot me an email. I would love to talk or be a reference or listen or whatever. And Brian, thank you, man, for this. It's always good hanging out with you. I appreciate your thoughts and your perspective. And uh, you were the best Hebrew professor I ever had. So I'll just yeah. <laughs> make that on public record here. <laughs> All right. Well, well thank you. And uh, until next week uh, or next episode. Uh, everyone live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope in the world.